for a long time I thought in a philosophical level I was very accepting of the idea that you can't control the fact that you are going to die but then by doing this show I was actually realizing that that would be disingenuous to say that I'm not scared of dying because the reality is I'm terrified. Kia ora and welcome to this first chat with writers, directors and performers who have shows in this year of Q Theatre's Matchbox season. I'm Sarade and today I'm talking to Joel and Rachel about their musical about death, Yorick. They're part of the Wellington-based theatre collective Binge Culture, which has created some amazing and off-the-wall projects in the past, which consistently get rave reviews from critics and audiences. So I'm talking with Joel and Rachel. You guys are both part of Binge Culture. Indeed. Which is a theatre collective based in Wellington. Correct. (laughs) Can you tell me where the name binge culture came from? I, it's funny because I can't remember how we settled on it, but I am adamant that for a long time we thought it was a good idea that we were going to call ourselves cringe culture. So I think it was the fact we settled on the name because it wasn't cringe culture. Yeah, it was sort of like in response to that terrible offer of a name. And then I suppose... When we started thinking about it more, binge culture felt very in tune with the kind of work that we were making at the time, which was about excess and about um, being a young person and having the sensation that we're a part of a generation where we're not really thinking about the excesses that were... I'm not really making much sense. Yeah, but I think that was that was on point, Rach. Yeah. I think also like it's our approach to culture as well. We wanted to make work that wasn't high art... It was binge art. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's the myth that we're going um, g- yeah, we'll to start to perpetuate, that. I think, yeah. from now on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can go with that. It's so hard to remember the genesis of a name. I just more remember the conversations we had around it. And was that in 2008 that you formed? Yeah, initially there was a bunch of graduates from Victoria University. And over the years, we've sort of added, subtracted people <laughs> in a totally natural way. And this show is sort of the peak evolution where binge culture exists as a performance style and a way of making, but we are um, collaborating with a... Uh, a bunch of really cool, amazing artists in their own rights. Who, yeah. who are yeah. those cool, amazing artists? Mel Hamilton, who was involved in the very like beginning discussions and the creation of the show. At the moment, she's working as our producer. And then we have Meg Rolandi, an amazing designer, and she's also been involved right from the start. And then we've got Isabel McKinnon. Who's an amazing um, yeah, performer and director in her own right. So there's a lot of peak creative talent in the room, which means that the stakes are quite high. And then we're also working with Freya Finch, so she's our Auckland import and um, Oliver Devlin who's been working with us for the last couple of years but in a very intense way we had to make the relationship formal Um, (laughs) it's official now so once you're in binge culture you can never get out (laughs) it's like the hotel california (laughs) (laughs) and what's your new show called so the show's called yorick uh with an exclamation mark great very important snappy titles yes is what we've uh that was the most important creative decision we made. <laughs> and is it riffing on something to do with Hamlet? Yeah, I mean, what we're doing is making a show about death, mortality, and um, 
we're framing that we're using musicals as a way to um, make that, I guess, a more easy conversation to have. And where Hamlet comes into it is there's so much to talk about with death. And so what Hamlet does is he's like, basically, we're using him for a framework. We're not treating him with any respect whatsoever. Excellent. He's an absolute tool for us to use. And it's <laughs> also recognizing that, like, um, because this show deals with mortality, there's something iconic about the way that that image of Hamlet staring at a skull going, alas, poor Yorick, has become almost a symbol in of itself of, of existential consi- dread. Yeah, and, considering yeah. death. And um, so I suppose we're kind of questioning, like, come on, guys, are there better ways that we could be spending our time thinking and dealing with death or you know trying to like make sense of our mortality yeah um i guess part of the thing is that we we sort of identified that you know death is a conversation we tend to avoid more and more um and so part of the show is looking like how might this look you know how could we do this in a way in a contemporary way but also looking back to a time when it was like all g to be thinking about death 24 7 (laughs) you know like so that sort of um so is like a sort of here's what we did in the past thinking about death and also here's a proposition of how we might think about death. And do you think that we think about death less because we live longer now? I think we we avoid it. I would argue that it's not that we don't think about it more or less. It's just I suppose there was a time where people died, yeah, as you say, earlier. And I feel like it was seen more. It was something that was very day-to-day like it would be quite common for your mother just to die in childbirth or um I feel like death was more prevalent people were going to war I mean I'm not saying that there's no more war at the moment but you know it was more just an everyday thing and the family units changed as well so we we put our older uh, folk into homes and put out of sight out of mind sort of thing whereas you know it's uh, I think it wasn't that long ago that like 90% of people died in their own home sort of thing, you know. Um, so that is a, a huge change that's happened just over the last couple of generations. And I think there's, there's this other obsession that we have with like pretending that we're not going to die. So like like anti-aging cream type stuff. For sure. We're sort of like doing ourselves a disservice by not maybe preparing and, you know, in, a, in small ways for our own demise. <laughs> Yeah, we're not invincible. And we're doing ourselves a disservice by, by forgetting that. Yeah, I think so. Um, what do you think we gain by, um, is it is it to do with enjoying your life more if you know it's going to be over soon? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of interesting research. I was just doing some research, like more research last night about what happens when people think about death regularly and the sort of varying ideas like that maybe it makes people connect more to the groups that they're with and feel solidarity with each other. But, you know, I think, I guess for us, it's like, we just have a sense that we don't really engage with it and we haven't got any spaces to engage in it anymore. You know, like people love the Day of the Dead probably because it's just like a hipster thing, but also in Mexico, you know, it's like an actual, there's a real cultural purpose for that occasion. And yeah, there's nothing like that for us, I don't think. There's no equivalent. For, mm. for New Zealanders or like Westerners in general? I guess Westerners in general. I mean, I have heard of these like death cafes popping up in Sweden and stuff, classic kind of Scandinavian enterprise. So people can go to a cafe and talk about death over 
cake and coffee sort of thing. That that's um, a real thing. That's a genuine wow. real thing. I didn't know I, that. I read that last night. <laughs> Amazing. And and is it is it for people who've recently lost someone or? I think it's just a purely general thing that people can do. I I guess you kind of self-select <laughs> when you go into the cafe, but. Yeah, I guess that's what we're trying to do with the play is like we've lost a lot of the skills that we used to have around talking about death because we're not, it's not as present. Um, And, you know, I know that quite often when people, in terms of some of the funerals that I've been to, it's like once that person died, I didn't see them until they were in an urn again. And then other times I've actually seen for some of the people who were close to me, I was with their dead bodies for quite some time after they had died. And that, that was a real... You know, it's a hugely different thing, and I think it makes a, there's a meaningfulness around. You can really come to terms with it. There's definitely that's a cultural thing where some people that some people really emphasise, but has become de-emphasised in our culture, is that um, engaging with death when it happens. And we were what we're trying to do with this show is kind of create a space where we can have those kinds of thoughts and those conversations in a really safe way because we're padding it out and we're giving everybody some thing to laugh about some joy with it as well you know which is why we've got all the dancing and the singing and there are definitely some scenes that are quite outrageous and joyful and over the top because the other side of thinking about your death is that it kind of does make you reflect on well, what am I doing right now? What does it feel like? What does it mean to be alive? Because, yeah, if you've sat with someone who has recently passed away, they're very much dead, you know? (laughs) To see the bodily existence of someone having left their body is incredibly profound. So my experience, I feel like that is a life-affirming thing to realise, well, why I'm alive, let's make it alive. It sounds like you've put a lot of yourself into making the show. Has making the show made you think differently about death in your life? I think for me, it certainly made me think about it a lot more. I suppose for a long time I thought in a philosophical level, I was very accepting of the idea that once you, you know, that you can't control the fact that you are going to die. But then by doing the show is actually realizing that that would be disingenuous to say that I'm not scared of dying because the reality is I'm terrified. The thought of, you know, being able to be alive one day and then tomorrow like be hit by a bus and have no chance to say goodbye or no chance to resolve anything, you know, come to some sort of resolution. That is a really scary thing. So I think... In a way, it's actually made me like call bullshit on myself. Like, oh, I'm a really spiritual person. I really like am so at one with the idea that I'm going to die. But when I'm, yeah, when I'm really honest, it's really scary to properly think about it. And then second to that, the thing I'm the most terrified of happening to me is that I have to sing and dance on stage. So (laughs) it's all very kind (laughs) of apt. (laughs) Yeah. Um. It is pretty funny. Like one of the things that I really enjoyed about doing this, making this show is because I'm terrified of my own death. I kind of just assumed it was the same for everybody else. Like I was like, and you guys just wake up in the middle of the night with a sense of existential dread, right? (laughs) And we're all just like, ah. 
<laughs> no, actually, we don't, Joel. <laughs> uh, so, there's it was, it was it something quite therapeutic about actually starting to have some conversations about, like, oh, what do other people think? And, like, um, some people in the room being like, I, you know, I staunchly believe in, um, in reincarnation and I was like yeah 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 but I mean we all know that's not real <laughs> and then actually realizing no some people really believe in reincarnation and that's like a really awesome thing to be discovering together yeah I mean it's just also just like one aspect of it is our own thinking about our own death you know it's like everybody has completely different reactions to other people's deaths as well whether they be like really in the distance like um, other side of the globe type of deaths to like people's reactions to um, deaths that occur that are close to them you know so we're trying to kind of cover those the the structure of the play is to cover those in order from like most uh, distant um, arm's length kind of death that might occur on the news or something down to your own personal death sort of getting closer and closer and all the different nuances in between such as finding out that a colleague that you didn't know particularly well has passed away to like your best friend to your second cousin removed twice brother's <laughs> uncle you know like yeah. there's all sorts of different distances that we have and relationships yeah. that we have and just as incidentally sorry to keep talking about but the um the this is kind of that structure was what was informed by the, that hamlet play we took the fifth act of hamlet and he has that same progression of um thinking about death in a very cosmic sense to discovering the skull of Yorick, where he was like, oh, it's that guy I knew, to discovering that his girlfriend's died, mm. to like dying himself. So okay, cool. that was one of the major things that was informed by the that classic text. It's canonical. Has there been... Sorry, guys. <laughs> Rachel, when you have looked at death like this through the lens of Hamlet, is there anything... Because mm-hmm. to me, that feels really like a male fear of not leaving a legacy behind feels really present in that. Mm. Do you think that men and women think about death differently or have you noticed anything like that? That's a really interesting question because obviously there's three female performers on stage in this show and we've had to interrogate ourselves a few times like why is it that we're using this particular lens which is as you say a very male oriented lens and is very much caught up in the idea that like will anyone remember me and I wouldn't want to say that I think there's a difference because I think that the way someone approaches death can be very different depending on the different you know like across Every single person's perspective is going to be quite different. But I would say that I think what's interesting in choosing Hamlet as the lens, as one of the lenses, and I will stress that he is one of the, not he, but like the play in, of, of Hamlet is one of the lenses that we're using to explore death. It is problematic. And it is, it is very much rooted in a very um, male gaze kind of way. Like the problems with Hamlet are that he comes from a lot of privilege. Um, He has an incredibly problematic relationship with his mother, incredibly problematic relationship with his, not even girlfriend, but with Ophelia. And so 
we have had to have times when we've really interrogated that and said, well, like, why? Why have we chosen chosen Hamlet as one of the lenses to look at death through? And I suppose the answer to that is that by having that as a perspective, then we can offer something new. So by saying, you know, this is one of the ways and this is one of the ways that's kind of been like upheld as the way when you think of the fact that we are still studying Shakespeare at school, that it's still such a kind of like celebrated way of looking at the world and saying, well, actually there are other ways that we can do this. So in the show, I often play the character of Hamlet um, and Ophelia at times, whereas Izzy is much more interested in bringing the conversation into pop culture references. She wants to take us out into space. She wants us to experience what it might feel like to be in the movie Gravity, where, you know, you're drifting off into space, you've disconnected Mm. from your spaceship, that kind of thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you say that Yorick is peak evolution of binge culture? I guess it's just the ambition of this show. Um, We rooted something in the style that has been developing over um, a decade now. (laughs) Shit. Um, Yeah, a decade. But then we were like, but we weren't satisfied with just making another um, binge show. So we wanted to incorporate like the greatest minds and the greatest choreographers (laughs) This is the first show that we've had a um, like a really serious design for, and also working with a musical genre, you know, like and that's it's that's a huge thing in and of itself. But doing all that through this performance style that we had developed over ten years, which is basically rooted in a sort of post-dramatic <laughs> tradition of acknowledging the audience, you know, that that we are in this space together you know, narrative and story is totally secondary to this, what is happening right now. Yeah. Joel and Rachel, I I really don't like musicals. Do you think that I will still love Yorick? Well, (laughs) I think that's a great question because I definitely would say that I'm in your boat in terms of um, not being a huge lover of musicals. I can... I can handle lamers and I love lamers, but apart from that, I struggle a little bit with the musical genre. But the interesting thing about this process has been that it's really fun. And and what I can assure you is that it what the musical element is doing, and this is what I love about this show, is that it's taking what is very heavy, sometimes heavy subject matter and kind of exploding it out onto the stage in this way that makes it a lot easier to talk about. And while I wouldn't say that we're making a musical theatre parody, that kind of playful use of a genre that none of us are good at. I mean, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're working we're good our at it. We're we will working be good our butts at it. off. Like, it's been a lot of fun to do the singing and the dancing. But to watch people having to really try at something... I think it's quite enjoyable and is like the sort of heart of the show is that we're sort of setting ourselves this task that mm. is really difficult but has this really joyous quality to it. And Ollie Devlin has done just the most beautiful, beautiful work with the music and that a lot of the musical theatre elements to it came from improv. So it was us in the room 
improving around ideas like what would you sing at a funeral for Yorick, for example, or what song would you sing if you were in space and you realised that, you know, you're disconnected from the craft and your friend was floating out into space. What would you sing in that moment? And we've created these improvs and then Ollie's taken these very rough improvs and turned it into something that's actually, like I was humming it the other day and my partner said to me like, oh, it sounds really cool. Like I'd maybe buy a CD of that. So that's kind of, I hope that reassures people that are just like, oh my God, I don't know if I can handle this. That it is, it's the joyful element of the musical, but you're not going to have to sit there watching like numerous numbers. There's only a few. <laughs> We're trying to engage with it as as sincerely as possible. Yeah, it's like Rachel said, it's not a parody. Um but the way that we've approached it is we were making this really heavy show about death and some producer has kind of come in and been like, yeah, 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 I love it, but it's never going to sell. It's going to need a song here, a dance here. And the musical is like an imposition for the performers. It's like an extra thing that they have to do on top of everything else. That's just a really interesting, you know, it just creates a really interesting contrast. But if you mixed up a musical that you didn't necessarily like with something else that you didn't necessarily like together might make something that you did like. Yeah. One thing that I do really love is that in musicals, it's like someone described this to me that in musicals, when the emotion gets too much, um, then people sing. And um, when that gets too much again, then they dance. So that was kind of the um, that starting point for bringing the musicals into this production it's like yeah this is hard conversation to have um so when the emotion gets too much what do we do we're singing dance yeah i read somewhere that binge i read a really cool description of binge culture where you guys were described as performance alchemists and i love that so much and a lot of the work that you've done before this show hasn't been in a theater I mean, it does sound like you're playing with form again, but like, what about this meant you needed to do it in a theatre? Yeah, I guess it comes back to those, like wanting to challenge ourselves to put these disparate elements together, I guess. Because um, I guess when we are working in something like, say, in a satirical audio guide, which was our last <laughs> our last work, then we had can kind of complete control over the form and we picked the form that suited the content they were both kind of working together. Whereas I suppose this show is a challenge to say like, well, how do we have that same challenge of how to um, reinvent a form inside a conventional theatre space? And I'd say that it's really exciting for me to be making a stage show again because I there is a part of me that really misses it. And in, say, a, you know, an audio tour, which is... Um, some of the work that we've done in the past is you miss that really immediate contact with being with an audience of say 80 to 200 people like that intimacy and that that the specialness of being in a room together I've missed that so it's it's an exciting thing to be back in a theatre and to be making something and I like that term alchemist as well because I think in the show um, it is a little bit like alchemy because there are all these different elements and we're kind of putting them together with the hope that what comes out of it is going to be something else, you know, like be its own 
thing, its own Pure element. Pure gold. Pure gold. I was really avoiding <laughs> going to say that because I was like, no, nope, I'm not going to say gold. I'm not. And then Joel said it. <laughs> but yeah, that's the hope that by mixing these different things together that we can make something that feels really different and fresh for our yeah. audience. And I guess as well, like the challenge of, yeah, it's easy to have a new relationship because we always try to think about what is the stakes for the audience in this work? And it's easy to do that when they're like running around a park outside with headphones on interacting with these things. You know, it's like, yeah, we, we did something different <laughs> with the audience. But how do we do that? If we got this restriction, which is the audience are in their seat, it's like, well, how do we play with this r- relationship with the audience and create something new from that and I think I think we're getting there with this work like it's not your standard sit in the seat kind of show so you're still bringing a little bit of that of your style from other shows into this yeah I guess we just want to give the audience like what are the stakes for them and this higher stakes than something than the you know lights go down I sit in the seat maybe think about some stuff and then lights come up again, you know? Yeah. Like, so it is a challenge given that restriction of the audience is in a way inherently passive, but we're like, no, we want to make them active. And that musicals thing, the subject matter, they all kind of give a different way of accessing what's going on on stage. And I, th- and there's definitely a lot of like meta play as well. So. <laughs> well, I think yeah. it's with this work, it's quite different in that it's not, it's not an interactive show. Like there's, the audience will be in their seats and they will be watching the show. So it's not, it's not at that level of interaction. And I think that poses a really interesting challenge is how do you really activate someone beyond them just watching something in the same way that they might watch, you know, like a television show or a... The Crown. Yeah, or The Crown, <laughs> which I'm obsessed with at the moment, by the way. And it's... You know, like, so it's really activating, activating them to feel as if they're somehow implicit in watching these four performers grapple with their own deaths and then eventually, spoiler alert, eventually have to face their own death and what it feels like and what it is to be a witness to that as an audience member. And for me, that's what's kind of interesting and alive about the work. Because we only can ever imagine, eh? Because we can't do it twice. So everyone is in the same boat, you know? There's not going to be anyone who's like, yeah. oh, actually, yeah, I died for 10 minutes and it kind of sucked, but now I'm not scared of it. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the, I mean, that's that's the hilarious thing. It's like, there's a lot of people that have some very lofty opinions about what's going to happen when we die, but no one's died <laughs> and come back and been like, hey, guys. Well, <laughs> well, well <actually>. maybe <laughs> Joel has. Do you, uh, um, uh, do, so neither which, of you believe in reincarnation? Oh, uh, I mean, like in a vague way, maybe, but it doesn't give me a lot of s- comfort. <laughs> I, I definitely believe in reincarnation, perhaps not in a really direct way, but I think that there is a way that we will be, in a way, recycled, if that makes sense. But, you know, I'm mostly looking forward to meeting old mate in the sky. Old mate. Yeah, and just kind of just chilling up there for the rest of eternity. 
I'm pretty sure that's what happens. Yeah, well, that's a pretty hopeful, great place to end it, I reckon. <laughs> um, what what dates is your con? Preview on the 12th, and then it runs the 13th until the 23rd of June. At the Loft, Loft Theatre in Kew. Awesome. Well, good luck with the rest of your process. Yeah, hey, thank you so much yeah, for thank you, to Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was really great to actually take some time to debrief a little bit on my... On it, so yeah. Thanks for hearing us out. No, it, it kind of help. It helps you in the process, I reckon, to be, if you if you have to explain it to someone. Yeah, yeah it really did. So thanks for your questions. Yeah. Thanks again to this episode's guests, Joel and Rachel. You can get tickets for Yorick right now from qtheatre.co.nz. The show runs June 12th to June 23rd in Q's Loft Theatre, and tickets start at only twenty dollars to see the preview night. I'll catch you in the next episode when I'll be chatting to the creators of Burn Her, a new political drama opening on August 1st. Until then, please share this podcast around and thank you for listening.